Hey there, podcast listeners, and welcome to this week's Physics Central podcast. I'm Mike Lucibella. Whenever there's a calamity, like a volcano erupting or an earthquake, waves of energy radiate out in all directions. In the atmosphere, we can hear this energy as sound, but these events produce other kinds of waves as well. Seismic waves shake the Earth and its oceans. And whenever there are waves, you can bet there are scientists listening to them, trying to figure out where they came from. Any kind of an event, whether it be an earthquake or a volcanic eruption or a large explosion, um, it's going to generate waves that propagate then in either the atmosphere or the solid Earth. This is Brian Stump, a professor of Earth Sciences from Southern Methodist University. And so those waves uh, characterize the location of the event, and also by looking at the relative uh, sizes of those, we can tell something about the, uh, the source of them themselves. To measure these waves, scientists use seismometers to read the different ways the Earth shakes, infrasound detectors to hear sounds in the air that are too low for the human ear, and hydroacoustic monitors to measure pressure waves in the oceans. In effect, they're listening to the sounds of the planet itself. What's amazing to me is how scientists are able to combine data from all the waves they picked up and create a coherent picture of what happened at their source. So the point is now, if the seismic instrumentation is out there, can be used to monitor events, uh, huge numbers of events, and fortunately we have the computer capability to process all of that information. So rather than it being a confusion of, if you want, a cacophony of noise, actually you can use these events to get back to the original motions right back at the source. This is Raymond Jeanlow, a professor of Earth and planetary science at the University of California, Berkeley. It's very feasible now to have very, very reliable reconstructions of the, of the way the waves penetrate through the interior of the Earth, and from that to know quite a bit about the motions around each of these sources. Some of the detail that researchers can pick up is really impressive. So, uh, for example, the International Monitoring System detects everything from uh, whales under the ocean, the acoustic uh, emanations from actually from a lot of uh, organisms in, in the waters, to volcanic eruptions, to tsunamis and major t- storms. So how do they do it? First, it's important to know the different kinds of waves that move through the different media. They're all similar, but not identical. Well, um, in, in the case of the solid Earth, it's something we've been studying for, you know, 150 years or more. And the waves can travel in the crust or the mantle or even the deep interior of the Earth. And in those cases, we get uh, compressive waves or P waves and shear waves. And then surface waves that travel along the interfaces at the free surface. Compressive waves squeeze the ground together for a split second as they travel. It's like if you stretched out a slinky and plucked it. It looks as though the squeezed section shoots down the length of the slinky. But of course, the only thing really moving are its coils squishing closer together. The other kind of waves he mentioned, shear waves, are when the ground lifts itself up and down as energy travels through it. In the air and in the oceans, there are only compressional waves because shear-type motions can't be transmitted through fluids. And so actually, in the Earth, seismologists have two kinds of waves that they can work with uh, right from the start, whereas in uh, the atmosphere and the oceans, there's really only one kind of wave. If the frequencies are high enough, we can hear these compressive waves as sound. Otherwise, they're called infrasound. The oceans are also a fluid, and compressive waves move through them, too. And seismologists can listen to all these waves bouncing around and piece together where they're coming from and what caused them. So how do seismologists use these waves to reconstruct what happened and where? For both seismology and for infrasound, first of all, it is to separate a detection from a, a noise source. 
And so we'll use some kinds of detectors that look for the coherent signals and, uh, first of all, detect a signal across a single array or at a single station. Second step is then associate signals from arrays that are at different locations or instruments that are at different locations. And then use a combination of the, the travel times and possibly the azimuths of which uh, those waves approach each of the stations to then make a location. And then the, the last step is once you have a location, it is a look, careful look at the frequency content, the relative size of infrasound versus seismic, the generation of P or S waves for the seismic to tell us whether or not this is an earthquake or an explosion or a volcanic eruption. An earthquake generates lots of shearing-type motions because of the nature of the displacement of an earthquake, which is that two blocks of rock move past each other on a fault plane. An explosion, on the other hand, generates very different kinds of waves, mostly compressional-type waves, because the motion is an outward compression. Stump and John Lowe have both talked about explosions, but why would a seismologist care about things blowing up? Aren't they mostly interested in earthquakes and volcanoes? Why explosions? Most seismometers around the world are set up for studying earthquakes or for studying the earth itself, or volcanic eruptions for that matter. But a very specialized application of seismometers includes monitoring explosions, including nuclear explosions when they take place, being able to detect them, to locate them, to identify them. In 1996, the United States and 70 other countries signed an agreement banning the testing of any kinds of nuclear weapons forever. And part of the agreement was to set up a global system to make sure that nobody cheated. So the uh, international monitoring system was uh, established by the CTBT organization. That's the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty uh, Organization, specifically for the purpose of monitoring uh, for nuclear explosions around the world. And that international monitoring system consists of upwards of a few hundred seismic stations, but also in addition, uh, what I'll call infrasound stations, or these are stations that record sound waves that go through the atmosphere, and also hydroacoustic stations. These record sound waves that go through the oceans. It works very well. This February, the system heard exactly what it was designed to detect. So the uh, recent uh, nuclear explosion in Korea was detected by several sets of sensors. There were nearly 100 seismic stations from the International Monitoring Station that picked up the event in North Korea. And also, I know there were at least two infrasound stations uh, that, that picked up recordings as well. Since it was first established, it's become clear how powerful of a tool this monitoring system is. The detectors are sensitive enough to pick up explosions far smaller than nuclear weapons. Uh, in, in fact, there's a, a kind of a niche cottage industry in seismology, uh, referred to as forensic seismology, where um, truck bombs and other uh, explosions have been documented um, through the use of seismic records, exactly the same kind that are used for monitoring nuclear explosions. Um, by the way, the Oklahoma City bombing was also recorded. That was a very uh, tragic and, and, and traumatic event for the U.S., as were the 9-11 impacts were also recorded. And being able to document the amounts of energy that were deposited into buildings or into a, into a submarine and so on helps, after the fact, to reconstruct exactly what happens. Why is it that the Twin Towers collapsed? All this kind of detailed engineering analysis requires very quantitative input in, as to the energies involved. It also has the potential to detect so much more than just earthquakes and explosions. 
one of the real wake-up calls for the community was when it was realized that that um, very, very devastating um, uh, Sumatra tsunami literally was roaring across the Indian Ocean, and the, the infrasound stations picked that up very reliably and tracked it as a function of essentially orientation as that wave propagated across the ocean. And in hindsight, it was realized, you know, we could have really let people know. There's another much slower natural disaster unfolding around the poles that the monitors are listening to as it happens. The incidents of what are called ice quakes, which were earth, well, earthquakes that are caused in the ice sheets, uh, both the Arctic and the Antarctic ice sheets uh, have these events as the ice breaks up and ends up uh, basically calving off into the oceans and so on. Well, guess what? The incidence, that is the number of these ice quakes, has changed over time, and there's actually a very good correlation with changes in atmospheric temperature and ultimately then with greenhouse gases. Who would have thought that seismology would contribute to uh, being able to quantify global climate change, but that seems very much to be the case. When scientists listen carefully to the Earth, there's no telling what it can tell us. That's all for this week's Physics Central podcast. To find more of our podcasts, our Physics Buzz blog, resources, and so much more, check out our website, www.physicscentral.com. Thanks for listening.